If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We are looking at verses 12 through 19. A section here that is extremely personal to the Apostle Paul. But when I look at it, I see a true pastor, a true shepherd. In this day and age, well, I have some verses I'll share with you. How's that? All right. So if you would, please follow with the reading of the word of God. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches? Except that I myself did not become a burden to you. Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents and the parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But, be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly, I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you. I urged Titus to go, and I sent a brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same manners, in the same steps? All of this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding Beloved, Father, help us to hear the heart of a true pastor. Help us to be on guard for the heart of a true pastor. Help us be aware of the evilness of the day that is in the church. And Father, let us understand that, Lord, we have been warned through time. And yet, for whatever reason, as Jesus described us, we as sheep fall astray. Help us, Lord, protect us. Protect us for those men who would claim to be servants of Jesus Christ and yet, Father, are there to take from us. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. When I look at this section right here, if you look at your outline, I have concerns. What is a pastor's concerns? I get to meet with, how shall I say, a plethora of pastors. Alright, and pastors are a unique group of individuals. Most pastors that I know, what you see in the pulpit or in the Bible study is not the same as that person when they're outside of, um, I, I hate to put it this way, the lights, the camera, and the action. They change. Those of you who know me know what you see is what you get. Whether I'm standing in the parking lot, whether I'm standing in line at the grocery store, or whether these stupid lights are making my head sweat. All right? Because I, truth of the matter is, 
I don't know how to be anybody else. Uh, and, you know, some of you say, you're not even good at being you. But anyway, uh, but I have watched pastors and, and we have a group here in Castle Rock that prays every Thursday. And uh, a lot of times uh, I will listen because what I've seen is most people who quote unquote think they're pastors. Okay, they're talkers. All right, they are the uh, they they like to talk. I have people around me that will tell you that ain't what I like to do. I'm just not interested in it. But God has put me in a position that I'm going to pour stuff into you and I need you to share it. I don't need you to just sit on it. So I have found myself in uh, a very awkward situation. And one of the things I have learned is, and if I look at my society and I look around me, we want someone who has the ability to talk. Are they gifted orators? Well, you know what? That's no different than Corinth. That's what the Greek philosophers did. Why? I can talk. And, and I listen to people. There are people out there who have a whole bunch of poo that they are willing to share. And they will just go on and on and on and on. And you think, huh, Lord, when shall this cease? Because I hear people talk about stuff that is absolutely, positively useless. And they're excited about it. And that drives me nuts. God gave us two eyes, two ears, one mouth. What should we be doing twice as much of? And you know what? That includes the pastor. Okay? Now, I can usually, within a couple of minutes of someone talking to me, tell them what the problem is and how to fix it, but very seldom are they going to listen to what i got to say. So I very seldom ever say it. But it does augment my prayer time. Because I know what their problem is. Okay? And I pray that God shows it to them. One of the things that I have watched that has never, ever, never, ever changed is if someone's talkative, be careful. Be careful. That makes me nervous. Because a lot of people like to tell you about themselves. How many sermons do you hear that is about self? But you know what? We all sit there and smile and says, I can relate to that. You know what? I cannot relate to the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot relate to God. It is beyond my brain capacity. When I think that He created time, I can't really get a hold of that. Okay? I mean, He only spoke existence into being. Well, I can understand that. Really? He spoke existence into being. 
Think about this. God is patient, and yet God is not bound by time. How does that work? I don't know how that works. I, I am completely clueless. Because patience is based on time. And he's not bound by time. He's only eternal. So how does, a, how does patience fit that mold? So I'm not really interested in hearing about you. Love you. But you know what? I'm more curious to know what is he who spoke existence into being doing in your life. That's my concern. And you will see that the Apostle Paul is the one who taught me that. We've been looking at this, that Paul's first concern was faithfulness. In light of the world, here's what the world puts out there. What is he faithful to? Now think about it. Think about it, brothers and sisters, just in your lifetime. And in some of your cases, it's a little longer than others. But in your lifetime, look at what the church has done. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, the church has become a concert. Have you ever, think about it. It's, it's based on music. Listen, I do, I love music. I grew up when there was really good music. I'm not sure what it is now, but I, you know, I've, I, the other day somebody came into my office and they said, what are you listening to? And it's Stevie Ray Vaughan. I know. <laughs> Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? You know, but sometimes when you're studying scriptures, you've got to step into the blues. <laughs> see? It works. But see, this is the kind of stuff that I don't understand about people. Music ain't got nothing to do with walking with the king. Who was Paul's worship leader? I can tell you who it was. I know him by name. Jesus Christ. Who was Peter's worship leader? Jesus Christ. You want to see a true church? What do they do with the word of God? Or is it music? Is it video? Is it big screen TV things? Alright? Listen, I don't know when it happened, but somewhere in the middle of our churchianity, worship became music. I hear it said all the time. We're going to worship, and then we're going to look at the Word. What? What do you mean worship? What? No, we're going to have a little rock concert, and then we're going to look at the Bible. That's not worship. If you're truly honest and true to Scripture, music comes out of the word of worship. And you know what? You can't make it your way. 44 chapters in Scriptures describes worship. Three describe creation. Which one do you suppose is important? All right. Is the man... Faithful to the things of God or has the world corrupted it because I want to make you comfortable. You know what? I love you. I don't want to make you comfortable. If you've arrived to the person of Christ, then you should be comfortable. Let me ask you a question. Have you? Then you should not be comfortable. 
There should be times when you look at the Word of God and say, oops. Which brings me to the second point. A true pastor's concern. Verse 13 through the first part of 16 is concern for sacrifice. When a pastor regards himself, himself. Okay, now listen, I, I, people need to understand what a pastor's priorities are. All right? And, and I think we miss this. A pastor's priority is not his wife. First priority is not his wife. It's not his kids. It's not his education. It's not his income. It's not his 401k. It's not his retirement plan. Number one priority for a pastor, Lord Jesus Christ. You know what's number two? It's not his wife. It's not his kids. It's none of those other things. Number two, fervent prayer. You know what's number three for a pastor? The Word of God. And let me tell you something. It takes up some time. All right? Because you know what I learned a long time ago? The hard way. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And what happens? Everything else is taken care of. Okay? The question is, we all sit here and go, Oh, amen, brother. Amen. Okay? How many of you do it? That's difficult. Why? Because it is a sacrificial life. It's a sacrificial life. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to show us. Verse 13 and following. Paul is contrasting what a true man of God looks like versus a false. Okay? Listen, they are all over the place. You have no idea. You would be stunned if God revealed it all. But I, I want to share with you because it goes back three or four days. If God warns me about something, I say, all right, God's warned me about something. Right? If, you know, God says, hey, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta watch out for this. Alright? You say, alright, I, I, beware. Or I warn you. Alright? You say, okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be alert. I'm, I'm gonna watch. Okay? If God repeats it over and over and over and over and over and over again, guess what? You better have your head on a swivel. Because that means it's unrelenting and will not cease. So let me show you a couple of things. I'm going to go back a couple of years, just in case. So I, I want you to understand this is not a new phenomenon. I'll go back to Micah. That's a few years. Chapter 3, verse 2, 3, and 5. Speaking of those men who take the mantle of oversight over God's people. You know what we call them? 
shepherds, pastors. You who hate good, love evil, who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones. You who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones, chop them up for the pot as meat in a kettle. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. They're fake. They are using the people for themselves. What can you give me? That's what they're doing. That's what they were doing at the time of Micah. Micah was describing them. And you sit there and you go, wow, man, that's, that's kind of brutal. Kind of. You eat their flesh? Why? I need you to feed me. Why? That's your responsibility. I'm your shepherd. Come on, man. I got important things to do. Take care of me. Take care of me. Okay, that was Micah. One of my favorites. Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves in the wool and you slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Go to the church today and tell me what they're eating. Tell me what they're eating. Tell me, did they labor at what they're feeding? Tell me that. What are they giving? What do they give? And yet, they want to live. I listen to guys who make six figures here in town. And I've listened to their sermons, and there's nothing there. They have a congregation that is starving. And you know what is amazing? The congregation doesn't even know it. I felt good. I went and had my hands up. I did kumbaya. And then when the world comes crushing down upon them, them people have absolutely nothing to hold on to. And yet, the shepherd lives on the fat of the lambs. It hasn't changed, brothers and sisters. Zechariah. Chapter 11, verse 16 and 17. For behold, I am coming to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves 
the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. And his arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blinded. You know what I read that? God's taking this personal. These are my people. You claim to be my servant. I'm going to deal with you. That's hard. See, now I want you to understand this because when we look at it and think, well, maybe he just doesn't know. Really? Listen, I have been in this pulpit for over 21 years. And it still takes me between 35 and 40 hours for this message. Just this message. I mean, I'm just a slow learner. I don't know. But it takes me that long. Okay, and I teach on the book of Romans on Sunday nights and in first Timothy on Tuesday nights and a discipleship class on Thursday nights. So how much time am I spending in the word of God? Okay, I tell everybody I read second Corinthians every day completely whole book, the whole book, all of them chapters, every one of them chapters. And I've been doing it now for about 12 years. I'm not trying to brag to you, but I'm telling you, I have been called to feed you. I better have something to give you. I don't need to tell you a story. Hey, I was riding my motorcycle the other day. It was great. And Jesus loves us. And Harley. See, that doesn't benefit you. Let me bring it over into the New Testament. Our Lord warns us in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, 38 and following. In his teaching, he is saying, beware of the scribes. The scribes were the experts of the scriptures. They did just what that sounds like. They copied the Bible. And if you wanted a copy of the Bible, you had to write it out by hand. And that's what the scribes did. Okay. And he tells them, beware of the scribes. Who like to walk around in long robes and like the respectful greetings in the marketplace. And the chief seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at the banquets. And who devour widows' houses and for the appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive a greater condemnation. Okay, I've been to some synagogues in Israel and they have a thing. It's called Moses seat and it's a big stone, uncomfortable chair. <laughs> I mean, it's, ugh. but that's where the authority is. Whoever's sitting in there is the expert. And if there's ever a question about the scriptures, you take it to whoever's seating in Moses chair and he will tell you yes or no, right or wrong. Why? And they have these wonderful robes with tassels. Tassels everywhere. And you just sit there and you go, <laughs> funny. I didn't say that out loud. Okay, but you just said, you look important. Okay. Brothers and sisters, this is the false. And all I can tell you in a, in a simple statement is the true men of God are the complete opposite of this. They are selfless. They are sacrificial. And I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to show it to you in a way that, yeah, hold me to it. Go for it. 
Go for it. They are sacrificial. Understand in our context that one of the many accusations, lies made by the false apostles who had come in behind Paul in Corinth was that his treatment of the Corinthian church and his treatment of the Corinthians was less because he was selfish. He's not really giving of his time to you. He's, he's not giving you good stuff. He makes the statement here, verse 13, back to our text. For in what respect were you treated as inferior? The implication there is some people were accusing the Apostle Paul of treating the Corinthians inferior to other churches. Remind you of verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with what? All perseverance. He continued to do that. In other words, what he's saying is the same way I treat every church you were treated. You can back up a letter that he will write from Corinth in a few, how about a year from this letter? Romans chapter 15, verse 19. This power of signs and wonders in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around to as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. What he's saying is, I treat every fellowship the same. What you see is what you get. The only difference between the other churches that he dealt with and the church in Corinth, there's one difference. One difference. And you can kind of understand why. He says there, were you treated inferior to the rest of the churches? Except that. I myself did not become a burden to you. I wasn't a burden to you. Now listen. You know what? I look at that. It's like I never gave you a bill. I never billed you for my time. For my services. There's times when I run around almost on the front range. And I was like, gosh, I wish they would pay me by the mile. He says, I did not become a burden. Listen, we've already looked at this. Remember, write this down. Go check it out yourself. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 18. Okay. He had a right for support. Make your living by the gospel. Okay. Those who make a living by the gospel. By the explaining of the word of God. Because the gospel is 66 books. Those who make a living are worthy of being paid for that. And I agree with that. I agree with, I actually, even before I was a pastor, I looked at it, I said, the single greatest occupation on the planet is the pastorate. And here's why I say that. They're only dealing with eternity. I mean, you pay a lot of money for a doctor, right? You bypass surgery, cardiologist, whatever you're going to deal with. That's a lot of money. But you know what? It's temporary. The guy who's going to take care of you for eternity, you might want to double check. I remember when Brian went in for knee surgery and him and his wife were sitting there and we were preparing him for knee surgery and they're writing on his legs so they'd make sure they'd change the right knee. 
And so they're sitting there, and I was just there to pray. We'll pray, and I'll sit, and we'll see what the doctor says. And so uh, they got ready, and he was talking to Karen. He's talking to Brian and all the rest of them. And the doctor looked at me, and he says, do you have any questions? I smiled at him. He says, you ever done this before? <laughs> and he goes, what? <laughs> well, just checking. I hate to think this is your first spare tire. But really? I mean, if you see somebody says, I can help you navigate eternity, would you like to know, have you ever done this before? I'm just curious. I mean, I don't want to just, you know, because there's eternity is like, you know, forever. And I don't want you to mess this thing up. So those guys are worth a lot of money. Paul chose not to accept any money from the Corinthians. And yet this is another contrast to false. Why? False do it for the money. I don't care who they are. They're not going to admit that. Hey, you know, I'm in this for the cash. They don't do that. But look at them. Look at what their priority is. Why do I hear so many pastors praying for their offering? I don't think I've ever prayed for our offering. Maybe that's the problem. But <laughs> I should. But, 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 but I've never prayed for the offering. Gee whiz. God's going to move you as God's going to move you. You know, what do you mean? Armed robbery? But I listen, well, you know, it's summer. Nobody's giving. I wanted to tell you, get Led Zeppelin to come into a concert. It'll be better. Charge tickets. I, do you see what I'm trying to just tell you? If the guy is worried about the money, you know, I have people who want to come in and speak at our church on a regular basis. Wonderful. And then they tell me how much they want. And I'm done. No, I don't care. Uh, and I've had some, we've had some amazing people come and speak at this church. And you know what they all have in common? They never ask for money. Not a dime. Well, can I take up a love offering? Well, if you feel like it. <laughs> what? It's just like uh, David Jeremiah. He's giving those tickets away. Think about it. I, I'm not sure about you, but I'm thinking if you're going to rent the Pepsi Center, there's three or four dollars involved. I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe they're making it off of parking. You know, $10,000 to park. Okay, but I, but he's speaking and he's doing some music and they're not charging. Here, this is about getting a ticket. And you're sitting there going, how are you pull? Well, never mind. I know how that works. I know how that works. Chapter 11, verse 20. I'll remind you. For you tolerate it if someone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. And now what's going on today? How many men at the pulpit have I watched who exalt themselves? And I've had them sit and tell me. I remember having a pastoral breakfast here in Castle Rock. guy looked at me and said, my biggest problem is pride. What? I mean, you look at all that I've done for the kingdom. I mean, how can I not be prideful? You know, like, oh, I'm going to go sit at another table because <laughs> he might fix this. And I don't want to be, you know, this could be, you know, <laughs> damaged. I don't know. 
I didn't sit there and go, well, I've had people tell me, you know, I am, I boast in my humility. And you're like, okay, I'm happy for you. Listen, the people were arguing in Corinth, the false were arguing that Paul's ministry was useless. Okay, Paul's ministry had no value to it. Paul's ministry was worthless. Why? Because he didn't charge. If he didn't charge, then the ministry has no value. And he didn't take money from them. Their second argument is that he didn't take money from them because he didn't want to be obligated to them. Chapter 11, verses 7 and 9. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For whether the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you. Okay, now, one of my greatest, the greatest loves that I have for the Apostle Paul comes next in our text. Forgive me this wrong. (laughs) I like that. I didn't take money from you. Forgive me from not taking your money. (laughs) I love sarcasm. (laughs) And Paul Paul was good at it. Forgive me this wrong. And the false, see, the false claimed he mistreated the Corinthians by not charging them. And he politely says, forgive me for not taking your money. The only way that he had deprived them was being a burden to them. He didn't ask for support for himself nor his companions. See, Paul's first visit, you guys can go look this stuff up. Paul's first visit, he founded the church, Acts 18. First visit, Acts 18. His second visit was the confrontational visit. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 13, verse 2. He confronted them to their faces. And you know what? Nobody in the church defended him. His third visit has not happened yet. Okay, when it does happen, that's when he writes the letter to the Romans. Because he tells the Romans he wants to come there and bear fruit. And yet, he says here, I still, even at that time, on my third trip, whenever it happens, I don't want to be a burden to you. I don't want your money. Listen, brothers and sisters. This is probably the greatest single evidence of selfless love that you can ever see. That you can ever see. I remember speaking at a conference down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, uh, my cars at that time were not what we would call uh, dependable. And so uh, I, I worked it out that the whole family could go. And I was trying to figure out where we were going to stay. And, and, and so my buddy who was putting on this conference, big church in, in New Mexico, he, he says, I come down and he says, and, and go to this. He says, we've got special rates at this hotel. And I don't remember the name of the hotel. He says, just go there. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll be there. 
So I get me a rental car and we all cruise down to New Mexico and I go to this hotel and it's this big fancy sucker. And you're like, oh, gee, I can't afford to stay here. And, he's, and he says, the guy, so I was like, well, I'll go in and see what the special rates are. OK, I mean, you know, this is about a two hundred fifty dollar a night hotel. And I'm sitting there going, I need like a real special rate. <laughs> you know, can I can I sit there where the chlorine for the pool is and i thought man this is going to be a disaster so i walk in i tell them my name's terry ball and they look down and go castle rock baptist church i said yeah and they said all right here's your room this and i said wait 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 <laughs> what's the rate and they said no the church is paying for it what then i want the suite no <laughs> So I was, I was stunned. I was like, wow, they're going to, cause I, we were there for a few nights cause it was a multi-day conference and it was a few nights. And I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And, and so I go in and then, so we're kind of looking around at this room going, man, this is bizarro world. Me and the, I think it was just the two boys and Paige. And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and you're like, whoa, what? What? I thought, well, it might be my buddy Wayne. So I open up the door. There's this lady with this big basket full of stuff, you know, like uh, fruit and weird stuff that you're like, you know, did I die? <laughs> and and they give this to me. And I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> but, but, you know, hey, don't let me hurt your feelings. When someone wants to serve, I'll let it make sure. Right, so, so we took it in and, you know, and then they give me an honorarium. And I didn't want nothing. But it, it scared me. I mean, because he said, well, can you do this? And this is what I want you to teach on. And I said, yeah, I can do that. And he said, can you get me an outline and, 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 and email it to his secretary? And, and, you know, we'll get it put in our workbooks and all the rest of that. And I said, yeah, well, I outline that. You've got to be kidding me. But okay. So I took off with it. And all of a sudden, and then they treated me like I was a traveling pastor. And I thought, you know what? That's the way it works. That's the way it works. And I mean, they had some guys. They had a guy named Billy Graham speaking. Okay. Now, it's not the one you think. Because <laughs> he's crippled and he's in a wheelchair. But they call him Billy Graham. And I was like, I'm going to be with Billy Graham? And then well, Stephen Olpin was there. There was a bunch of big guns that was there. And then, and then they had the comedian. But uh, when I see selfless love of a pastor... It's the guy who says, the doors open, go. I remember I preached. Um, in Russia, they celebrate nine months before they celebrate Chris, Christmas. They call it the Annunciation. And it is when the angel came to Mary and said, you are going to be with child. Okay. And so nine months before they celebrate Christmas, they this. And I mean, it shuts down stuff. I mean, they. They're closing things. So um, I was at this little bitty church, and I can't remember the name of the city, town. All of a sudden, they said, uh, we want you to bring us a message. And you're like, wow, far out. <laughs> I wasn't ready, but okay. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a different spin on this. Instead of talking about this baby and an infant, you know, Mary, you're going to have a child. I talked out of Revelations on the second coming of this baby. Okay. And when I got done, 
you know, I, a bunch of people and, and you're trying to converse through a translator and all the rest of it. And this lady, this elderly woman comes up to me and, and she's crying. And, and so I give her a big hug. Through a translator, she all of a sudden, she starts telling me that she needed to understand that because she'd been through the, the Soviets and the whole nine yards. And she needed to understand that. And she says, will you wait for a second? I want to give you something. I said, ma'am, I don't, I don't want anything. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want a thing. She leaves. I talk to a few other people. And all of a sudden, she comes back. She says, I'm unemployed. And I have, I'm, they, they call it widow's care. She said, I'm on Windows Care, so I don't have anything I can give you. And so this is all I have. And she hands me a bag of eggs. And I was like, whoa. Okay, and I, I'm not going to get that on my carry-on. But anyway, <laughs> that's going to make them people in customs very upset. <laughs> I, I took it back to where I was staying, and they made these, I call them Russian raviolis. That's the only thing I can describe them as. And I thought, you know what? That's awesome. Greatest gift it has ever given me. No, don't bring me no eggs today. <laughs> now look what the Apostle Paul says here. I want you to think about this. For Verse 14. For this third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. Listen to what he says. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. You know what, brothers and sisters? My greatest pain on Sunday are those who don't come. I can't even describe it. I know we all have a lot of things going on in our lives, but there's nothing more important to me than church. And it's not because of what you give. It is you. It is you. And most, some of you guys have known me for a long time. You know I'm not a people person. So that's weird. <laughs> okay? But when people aren't there, it, it's troubling. And I read this, and the Apostle Paul says, I will not be a burden. I do not seek what is yours, but you. But you. He didn't want their money. He didn't ask anything of them. He wanted their hearts. He wanted their lives. Why? He wanted to present them all to the kingdom of God. That's what he wants. He wants them to live righteous. He wants them to live in obedience. He wants them to reflect Christ. He wants them to obey the word. He wants to do all of this so that the glory of God is brighter. Then Paul illustrates this, the analogy of a parent caring for his child. Look what he says. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but the parents for the children. See, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul understood that he was their spiritual father. And he was willing to sacrifice himself for his kids. If you've ever been a parent, when your kids are sick, that's more painful than when you're sick. It's harder to deal with. Same thing when it comes to spiritual realm. Look what he says. Now, I want to, I want to kind of wrap up with this, and I want to get your heads around this, because he says in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended. We need to look at those in the original language. Spend and be expended. Why? For their spiritual well-being. You know, it's, it's one of these things, you know, I work 
well, I work day in and day out in the Word of God. That's all I do. I read the Word of God. I'm not an educated man. I just read and I dissect and I tear apart. And I want to know what it says. I want to exhaust every text. And I do that for your spiritual well-being. Look what he says here. The word. Most gladly. Hedios. It's a root word that we get hedonism out of. Hedios. It's a superlative. Hedios. You know what it means? Extreme elation. Think about it for a second in the context. Extreme elation. Extreme excitement. Now think about that for a second. Paul has this extreme excitement to do what? To be spent and expended. That's his thrill. That's his energy. That's his passion. That's the thing that makes him do his happy dance. He was not reluctant to sacrifice for the Corinthians. And there was absolutely no hesitation. Now look what he says next. Most gladly, excited, ecstatic. To be spin. The verb is dapano. Dapano. Spin freely. I'm excited to spin freely. You see this verb used uh, in Mark chapter 5 verse 26. The lady who had the issues of blood. Who spent all of her money on all the doctors. Dapano. You see it in Luke 15 verse 14. The spending habits of the prodigal son. He was ecstatic. He was thrilled. I'm just going to spend it. But then you look at the next word is to be expended. Ek darapano. Hmm. Anytime you see ek, ek, in front of a Greek word, it strengthens the verb. It's only used here in Scripture, nowhere else. And it means to be completely spent. Nothing left. Nothing left. You find one of my Bibles. You'll find written in the front of them. Any Bible that's mine. I write this in the front of mine. No reserves, no retreat, no regret. Okay? You find a Bible and it's got that in there. You don't even have to look for my name. No reserves, no retreat, no regret. Why? The Apostle Paul says, I want to spend it all. Now, I've told my kids this. I said, if you're waiting on an inheritance, you're a fool. I said, I came in with zero. I'm walking out with zero. Work for yourself. Paul was willing to sacrifice himself for his people until he had absolutely nothing left. To give. Okay, that's a pastor. That's the concern of a pastor. Well, but you know, this church was this, and this church was that, and this, that, and the other. Okay, let me give you a couple more. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. For even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy 
with you all. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body. Which is the church. And filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Okay. Let me see if I can give it to you in a simpler statement. Quote. For even the son of man did not come to be served. But to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10. 45. Paul was a follower of who? And Christ was a ransom for many. And Paul says, sign me up. Tragically, if you go back to our text, the Corinthians kind of weren't into that. They had not responded the same. Paul had demonstrated in his life and his ministry his self-sacrifice. Verse, end of verse 15 there. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? You know what? It's, it's, it's a, that's a warped relationship. The more affection that he gave to them, the less they returned. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 11-13. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. So listen, Paul poured his life out wherever he was. He withheld nothing. And you know what is amazing about it? You go back to the terminology, hednos and tapanos. He was joyous and sacrificial. He was happy about the sacrifice. All he was looking for was their love. That's it. Nothing else. And you know what? They were unwilling. They were following the false. He was heartbroken. And you know what was amazing? He was heartbroken. He had seen what they were doing. And you know what? He still didn't stop. He still didn't stop. Listen, we'll put little agape words on our bumpers. And we'll put a little fishy on our bumpers. But let me tell you something. When a person refuses to give you back love that you've poured into him, what's your response? Let me tell you what Paul's is. He loved them that much more. That's hard. That's agape. Love when they love not you. He didn't stop. Because then it's what he says. Be that as it may. I did not burden you myself. Despite the unreturned love, Paul still wouldn't be a burden. See, brothers and sisters, when you look at a pastor, a true pastor, they're going to have a concern for faithfulness. Faithfulness is who has called them. Okay? They're also going to have a concern for sacrifice. And their sacrifice will be exuberant. Regardless 
of the response. Their love may have diminished. The Apostle Paul's never did. I ran into somebody a little while ago that got mad at me. (laughs) Can you imagine? But anyway... Got mad at me, and we were at a uh, at another church. I was listening to a dissertation from a rabbi on the Song of Solomon, and I happened to glance up. Him and his wife were so, and it was it was close. So I decided to go up. And, How are you? And they turned their back on me and walked away. And I poured myself into their lives for I don't know how many years, and I thought, you know what? If I see him again, I'll do the same. I'll do the same. The indifference of the Corinthians was their coldness. They had a disaffection. And you know what is amazing to me? I spent all this time with the Apostle Paul. With their coldness, with their disaffection, he continued to love them sacrificially. You want to see a true pastor? So I sang. They'll know we are Christians by that is so conditional based on whether I have my car with the agape thing on it or not. Really? What do you do when they turn their back on you? What do they do when they are cold to you? What do you do when they slander you? What do you do when they buy the lies that have been said about you? I can tell you what to do. Same thing as the Apostle Paul. Love them more. Love them more. True pastors have a concern for faithfulness and a concern for sacrifice in their own ministries. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for my brother Paul and the time that You've given me to spend with him. The more I read, the more I understand, the more I cherish. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they understand that they're looking for a church and they're looking around Uh, There's 50-some churches in this community. But what is the concern of the shepherds? What is the concern? Father, help us. Help us to be discerning in an age of no discernment. Father, help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to understand the urgency of the day. Help us to be overwhelmed by Your presence. To You, my King, my Lord, my Savior. In Christ's name, amen.